Um, we're gonna we're gonna hang out in Genesis um, today for probably most of the sermon. Um, but I was kind of I've been reflective a little bit, and I was thinking I've been uh, saved for well I've been married to Christine this month for 24 years, and I was saved for about three or four years before that. So it's been you know 27, 28 years that I've been saved and. Um, God's never changed, but I've changed a lot. And um, a lot of how, how we view God uh, depends on not time, but it depends on where we're at in our lives and, and what we're looking for from God. Um, he doesn't change at all. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But so many times where, depending on the station that we're at in our lives, depending on the needs that we have, is the way that we end up viewing God. When we need strength, he is our strength. When, when we're you know, down and out, well, then we need hope, and he's our hope. When we're low on finances, well, he's Jehovah Jireh, and, and we need him that way, and we see him that way, and he is that way. And, and it's just amazing to me how many different ways that I've seen God react to, to my needs, to my situations, my stations in life. Um, so many times I've needed wisdom. And he's never failed me. I can't tell you, even now I'm, you know, in school, and I still sit there and I'm freaked out when it's t test time. And I just pray, and the peace of God comes over me. And, and afterwards, I'm a wreck, because I'm thinking, oh, what did I do? How did I do? How did I do? But I'm learning, I'm learning to roll that care over on God and, and just, you know, recognize that he does abundantly, more than enough, super above, more than I could dare ask or think. And it's just great to see God moving. And, and, you know, I encourage you sometime, step back from the day-to-day, -day, the hurry, and look at and see what God has done. Look at all the places, all the stations along your life where God has uh, made a transformation and made a change in you. And think of how when you were first born again and, and you first started serving God, you know, the zeal and the joy that you had without knowledge, right? God did some incredibly, incredibly things, just awesome things. But I had no knowledge. And as I've grown in him, and as I've learned his word, and as I've learned how he's operated, I've seen that he's always the same. He's consistent, and he's consistently good. And he's always, always there. You know, one of the first scriptures that I ever learned when um, I got born again was Isaiah 41. It says, I'll never leave you and forsake you. Because that was the one thing that I was really, really afraid of at that time, was being alone. Um, when I got born again, it was at a time where I had just gotten divorced and I had lost my daughter and I was a mess. And there was a lot of things going on in my life. My, my brother Ronald had AIDS and he was going to die and I needed my parents and my parents couldn't be there for both of us at the same time. And so, you know, obviously they had a limited time with my brother and there was a lot of restoration and reconciliation that needed to happen then. And, you know, they were there. For him and I don't fault them for that at all but my mom's even said you know you needed us at that time too and there was no way that they could be there for both you know in the capacity that really needed to happen but you know in that moment of weakness in that moment of conflict in my life that's when somebody told me about God and all the years that I had spent previous up to that point I had spent shaming God denying God, 
fighting against God, rebelling against God, arguing against God, you know, daring him to come down and do anything to me. And I mean, just the nastiest things you can imagine. That was me. But when I was broken, when I was hurting, when I needed him more than I'd ever needed anything in my life, and I didn't even know it, he was there. And, you know, he didn't come and he didn't remind me of all the things that I'd ever done wrong. He just told me that he loved me. And that was the message that I needed to hear. And it made such an impact and a change that here I am 27, 28 years later, standing up in front of a church and going to share with you the love of God. And it's kind of amazing. And I know every one of us has a same basic story. There was a time where we really needed God and we recognized that we were in over our heads and we couldn't do this on our own any longer. And all of a sudden God was there. And just him being there, he brought light into our lives and he gave us revelation and he brought change. And little by little, we've learned to follow that leading, that unction from God. And this is kind of a long introduction for Genesis chapter 17. Um, at this point, this is uh, Genesis 17, chap chapter 17, verse 1. Um, Abraham is uh, 99 years old. And... In Genesis chapter 12, when God uh, made the initial covenant with him, when he you know, first began to talk to him, he was 75. So right now, at, at this point in his life, uh, he's been serving God for uh, 24 years, which kind of walks right into a little bit close to where I'm at. But in Genesis uh, 17, 1, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, and he said unto him, I am Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. This is the first place where um, God ever calls himself El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is the God, it, he's all-sufficient. He, when, he, when he says, I am God, he, he's saying, that's who I am, I'm the all-sufficient one. And uh, Shaddai actually comes from the, the um, Hebrew word Shada, which means to pour out. And it's an indication of who he is. He's constantly pouring out. And at this point, you know, Abraham's been walking with him for 24 years. And he's, he, starts, he has to start to think about all the things that God's done in his life. You know, at this point, um, he's seen God make him a father in his old age. He's become a father to Ishmael. At this point, uh, Ishmael's about uh, 13 years old. He's seen God provide for him and his family you know, countless times. He's, he's seen um, God protect his marriage supernaturally. You remember there was the king who wanted his wife, and God stepped in in a dream and said, don't take that woman, and he just knew, don't take that woman, right? Um, he has seen God make him uh, very rich, and that's in Genesis 13, 1, and give him a land. Um, he's seen God encourage him. Um, go back, just hold your place there real quick, but um, look at this in Genesis 15, 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, I am thy shield, and I am thy exceeding great reward. And when I was preparing for this and I read that, I thought, Man, God, I wish you said that to me. And he's like, I have. I do all the time. And I thought, Well, that was a dumb thing to say. But, you know, the word of the Lord was, was nowhere near as common as it is now because they didn't have the, the spirit living within them 
they just had to go to a priest or they had to consult uh, Urim and Thurim, which were, were dice. They had to cast lots to find out what the will of God was. They didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. They couldn't just, you know, make a connection. You had to go to a temple and you had to offer blood sacrifices. You had to get yourself right. And then you could go in and, and you couldn't even really go into the presence of God. You had to have the, the high priest do it for you. We're so blessed. We're so blessed to just be able to, to pray, go into his throne room, bring our requests, make, make them known to him, and know that he hears us, and know that he has answers for us. So Abraham, at this point, you know, he, I'm, I'm saying, you know, look at all these things that, that it, he's had. He's asked for God um, certain things on countless occasions, and God's answered him. Um, and then something that I thought was really interesting, it's, um, and you don't have to turn there, if you're still in Genesis 15, or yeah, you can go there if you want. But in Genesis um, 15, verse 5, it said he brought him, brought him forth abroad, and he said, look towards the heavens and, I'll, and tell me the number of the stars, and if you're able to number them, he said, so shall your seed be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted for him for righteousness. At this point, he, he, you know, Isaac isn't even born yet. And he's talking about seeds and generations and dependence. And this is how great the, the nation is going to be. And he's telling him things that are going to happen of the future. And, you know, he doesn't just tell him, like, you know, this is, this is you know, what's going to happen and it's going to be great. But he tells him generation upon generation upon generation what's going to happen. He tells him when he's talking about um, what's going to happen to his seed when he's saying that they're going to go into um, Egypt and they're going to serve the Egyptians. You know, that's four generations from where he's at. And he doesn't even have his, his child of promise yet. But that's how God looks at things. We look at it as right now, and he's looking at it in the scope of eternity. This is what's going on. And everything that he has, he has a plan and he has a purpose for. And sometimes we don't see the whole thing. Most of the time we don't see the whole thing. But he always has that plan. So all, all these things, I, I just kept thinking, you know, he, he's walked with him for 24 years, and God's telling him, you know, walk before me and be perfect. Um, so when, he's, when he tells him to walk, one of the um, definitions for walk means to be continually conversant. And that kind of strikes me because there's a lot of times now that I've been born again for as long as I have that I don't pray as much as I should. And I don't really reach out to God quite as often as I probably should. I'm aware of his presence at all times. And I know that he's speaking to me at all times. But sometimes there's a little bit of a distance there. You know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be that way. And it's not how God wants or doesn't want. That's not how God intends. But it's definitely true. And I think in Abraham's case, you know, he, he's got all these great promises. And, and this, is, this is, I don't know. It's hard for me to get on this. So, okay, let's just go back to the paper. Um, sometimes when we've been walking with God for a while, sometimes it's easy to let things slip. It's easy to forget that there's more that God wants to do. It's easy to be comfortable and settled in on our relationship with God. We think, I'm good, God is good, and that's enough. And we become satisfied with today. Um, without, without a doubt, we are blessed, and, and God is good. But there's more. And it's too, too easy to just stop and say, you know, pastor always says us four and no more, you know, God bless me and God bless my wife and my kids and us four and no more. But it's, it's kind of easy to fall into that trap, but it can't be because God's plans are, are generational. They go further and further and further out. 
Um, verse 2 and 3 from uh, Genesis 17. It says, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face as God talked with him, saying, Behold, my covenant is with thee, and you shall be a father of many nations. Right now he has one child. And it's not even a child from his own wife. But he's telling him, you know, that I have, these, I have this great plan that's going to take place. Um, so listen to all the things that God promises him. And while he's saying all this, He's still on his face, but he's not really blown away by any of this. He says, uh, Neither shall your name be called Abraham any longer, um, or Abram any longer, but your name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations I have made you. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come out of you. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be unto God to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, of the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, you and your seed after you in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after you. He never just talks to him about just him. He's constantly talking to him about the seed that's coming after. And he's making all of these promises. And he says, You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. And in that day that he's eight years old, um, he shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born with, with in the house or brought or bought of money of any stranger, which is not of your seed. In other words, if he brings in a servant. Um, he that is born of thy house, and he that is bought with their money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. And the, and the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh and his foreskin is not circumcised, he shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. And God said unto him, so he gets all the way to here, and Abraham, I mean, yeah, he's worshiping and he's believing, and, and he doesn't have any trouble with anything God's saying. Think about all that God has just told him. God's just told him that you're going to have a seed. That seed is going to be a promised land. You're going to have the land of Canaan. That land is going to be yours for, for all generations. Your seed is going to go forth. He had so many promises, and Abraham didn't even really blink an eye. The whole time he's just bowed down in worship. And nothing, I mean, I'm sure it's all catching his attention, and it's, and it's exciting him, just like when God promises us things. But it really didn't blow him away. Until you get to verse uh, 15 and 16. It says, God said unto Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall no longer call her Sarai, but you shall call her Sarah. And I will bless her, and I will give her a son um, also from her. And I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people she shall be. Now this is where God's gone too far. Because he knows Sarah. He's been married to her for a long, long time. He's known Sarah longer than he's known God. But God just made all these promises and said he's going to give whole lands and kingdoms and everything. But the one thing that he promised that Abraham really couldn't wrap his head around was that he's going to give a, a child through Sarah to him. And, you know, we always talk about Sarah laughed, right? 
But what does this scripture say? Verse 17, it says, Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, ninety years old, bear? Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what Sarah says? Yeah, we give Sarah all kinds of grief about, you know, oh, you laughed, you laughed. But Abraham did the same thing. And, you know, the thing that really strikes me about this is Abraham is known as the father of faith. But yet when you look at this word laugh, it means to mock and to jeer. He was incredulous at what God had just told him. He told him all these great things and he didn't have any problem with it at all. But as soon as he starts talking about, oh, your 90-year-old wife and you, you're going to conceive and have a baby. Well, now that's just too, too much. And I wonder how much of that is kind of like us. Um, this is far too much for him to conceive in his mind. Uh, he can envision everything else that God said that he would do um, and all the things that he had done up to, up to that point. He was even fine with becoming a father with a younger Hagar um, 13 years ago, um, but he could not see how Sarah could become pregnant. Um, you know, a lot of times when we think about the promises of God, we feel just like Abraham. Uh, it's overwhelming when we think about the things that God has promised for us, the things that God says. A lot of times, I don't, I don't know, I'm sure this is common with you as well as it is with me, but I'll, I'll read in the Word, especially if I'm dealing with a symptom or something. I'm dealing with a situation, and I'll read something, and it's just too much. It doesn't even make sense. You know, you're figuring out how to pay the bills or whatever, and God's saying, I'm going to increase and, and make you abundantly abound. And if you give, I'm going to give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men. How, God's going to make men come and, and bring into my bosom? It's hard to wrap your head around those things. But yet they're the promises of God and they're true. And we, we know that it happens. I mean, we see it happen. But in the, in the moment, so many times, it's so hard to wrap your head around things. And I, I don't know if, if you guys have ever caught yourself doing this, but sometimes when I read these things, especially... All right, here's a little story about me. When I get mad, when I get angry, I go and read the Bible. It calms me down. A lot of times, the first maybe 15 minutes of reading the Bible, I'm not really getting much. I'm going through the, the Bible and just kind of looking at words. But God's trying to speak to me, and I know he's trying to speak to me, and I know that it works, and so I keep doing it. When I, the, the more upset that I get, the more I have to have to read in the Bible. And it never, ever fails. Whatever I'm upset about, I will, I, I don't open to a certain place. I just open and start reading. And it never, ever fails. Whenever I'm reading, whatever I'm upset about, there's always something in the Bible about it every time. So if I'm upset about, you know, something, I'll just give you an example. Let's say I'm, I'm upset about my boss or whatever. That'll be the time where, where I read something about like honoring the king. And it's like, really? Really? But, you know, it's like, it's incredulous. You think about, you know, Peter, and, and he was, he, when he wrote uh, in, in that, uh, his, his uh, letter, he, he was talking about Nero. Nero was the guy who was, you know, burning Christians, you know, setting them on fire to light the paths to his roads. He was making human streetlights out of them. And yet, that's the guy that he says honored the king. It's far beyond what we can do naturally in our own minds to, to think and, and relate to that. But yet, God's always doing this. And I, I think with Abraham, you know, 
God tells him something that's totally and completely impossible. And he's just like, I cannot get my head around this. And I can almost hear him saying, you know, God, I've seen you do so many things in so many different ways. Can't we just do this a way that I already know? Can't we just work this out another way? Can't we just use Ishmael? In fact, when you, when you keep reading, what does he say? He says, Abraham says, oh God, that Ishmael might live before you. And why is that? Why does he say, say that? Um, because your mind, when it can't fathom something, you try to make a way that you can understand it. It's the way that your mind works. We want to go down paths that we've already been down. We want to walk down roads that we already know. But that's not who God is. God is calling us into faith. When, let's go real quick to, I wasn't going to go here yet, but let's go here real quick. Very familiar scripture, Hebrews 11.6. Oops. This honestly, I gotta, I gotta be honest. This, this sermon is probably one of the hardest sermons for me to preach and to share with you because there's so many things that I have to go step by step to get to, and I have a real hard time doing that. So you can pray for me while I'm trying to get this to you, okay? Um, Hebrews eleven six it says, "But without faith, it's impossible to please Him." Um, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and must believe that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. You know, so, so, when our minds can't fathom something, we, tr- we try to, we try to make sense of it. We want to go down paths that, that we already know, but God wants us to walk in faith. And the reason why, it's, it's impossible for us to please him if we're not walking in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the, and the evidence of things not seen. Yet we want to we do the things that are seen. We want to do the things that we already know. We want to walk the path that we've already walked. Why? Because it's, it's predictable. We're comfortable in those things. When we don't know, that's scary. When, when we don't know where something's going to come out, that's a step of faith. It's kind of like Peter standing on the edge of the boat and Jesus saying, I, you know, he says, hey, if you bid me to come, then I'll come. And it sounds real good when he starts to say it. But then when, when Jesus says come and he's got to take that first step, well, now he's in trouble. Because his mind is screaming at him, you're going to sink, you're going to sink, you're going to sink. But yet Jesus has bid him to come. And so now he, as he steps out, he steps out in faith. And that's kind of like us. When, when God's telling us to do something, and it's a path that we've never, ever been down before. It's a road that we've never been to. And maybe we might have some sort of diagram or map to get there. But we've never been there. It's all new. And God's pointing us and he's leading us in a direction. But it takes faith to step out in that direction. It takes trust to go out and do the plan of God. Think about like the first time you ever left Santa Maria. And you went somewhere different. You know, Probably back then you didn't have, you know, your phone with all the directions and maps. And I mean, even when you do, sometimes it's still scary. Even when you've been there already, sometimes you're not familiar with it because it's been a long time. But when you first go somewhere and it's brand new and it's different, you're all worried. Oh, man, what is what is it going to be like? What is, what is it going to be like when I get there? How's it going to be? You know, how am I going to get there? How will I know when this exit's coming up? How, 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 why, where, when? 
And we want to know all these details. And God's just saying, just go, just walk. I'm going to go with you and, and I'm going to take you to a place that you've never been to before. But that's scary. It's so scary to try to get to that place. And this is what God was telling Abraham. He's saying, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have a, this, this land. And Abraham didn't have any problem with having the land of Canaan. Because he was already trying to figure it out in his mind. Well, you know, God can do this through Ishmael. But God comes back to him and he tells him in uh, verse 18. I'm going back to Genesis 17. that where I want to go? Oh, it's verse 19. I'm sorry. And God said, and God says, Sarah, your wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So, so Abraham's like, yeah, okay, we can do this. And I know how we can do this. We can just use Ishmael because he's already here. And then there's, you know, I already have this all figured out and I have this whole thing all planned and I can get to where you want me to go through this opposite direction. But God tells him, no, you have to go the direction that I told you to go. He, he wouldn't accept Abraham's plan over his own plan. And that's a hard thing, especially when you have an analytic mind that's constantly going and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get there constantly. And God's telling you, just walk with me. And you're like, no, no, no. And we want to run up ahead and we want to go our own way. And we think, oh, I know how to get there. I've been there before. We can go, out, we can go this direction. And God's saying, no, let's go this direction. And we're trying to get there, but we just can't. So what ends up happening? Oh, I mean, I want to make one more point. Sometimes it's really easy to believe God in the abstract. And what I mean by that is when we read the promises of God, sometimes it's really easy to think, you know, those are for other people. That's for somebody else. But they're not. They're for us. But it's easy for us to, t to say in our mind, oh, you know, that's for the next generation or that's for the generation that's behind or that, that's for Terry. You know, Terry's getting prosperous and she, but it's not really for me. And it's easy to just kind of shift that off on somebody else. But the truth is it's for all of us. And the truth is that until we can see it and make it a reality in our own lives, it's not going to happen for us. It's I, the best example I can think of in this is the rapture. Everybody believes in the rapture. But a lot of people think that it's going to happen so far down in the future, it won't really happen to us. And then the question becomes, well, if it does happen during our time in our generation, will you go? Well, I don't know. But I, I'm excited for the rapture, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. But they're not really excited for themselves in the rapture. They're excited for the rapture to take place. But when it comes down to a personal thing, well, I don't know. Because... There's reality that comes along with that. I don't know. That's kind of hard to bring out. So anyways, it's, it's really easy to say, like, in the sweet by, by and by, this is going to happen. 
Uh, we think that it can happen to others in the future, but certainly not to us and certainly not now, certainly not involving ourselves. If we can remove ourselves from the picture, we can believe because we know that um, our own faults and our own limitations. We're our harshest, harshest critics. It's really easy for us to believe the best of God for somebody else, but when it comes down to ourselves, sometimes it's pretty hard to, to say, yeah, God wants that for me. And that's something that I really struggled with. You know, when you have a poor self-image and you see yourself as less than, not equal to, it's really hard to believe that God wants to bless you. You know, and like uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, you have to believe that he is, and you have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who are, are diligently seeking him. And so it's really hard to say, yeah, God, I'm really diligently seeking you, and yeah, God, I, I really believe you, but this is me we're talking about. And that's the problem. We, we put ourselves in the place of, of God without seeing what God has done, transformation and change in our lives. Um, so going back to Abraham, he had a hard time believing this. Now let's jump up just a little bit um, in Genesis chapter uh, 18. Still talking about all the same stuff. But in Genesis chapter 18, we're going to jump up to, to Sarah here. And we want to go to um, verses 10 and 11. And it says, And he said, I will certainly return unto you according to the time of, your, of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And when Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were old, well stricken in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Um, therefore Sarah laughed within herself and said, um, Shall I have a son? Oh, I lost it. Um, after I'm waxed old, and shall I have this pleasure, my Lord being also, also old? So when it talks about the things that ceased being, what, what, what it's saying is that physically 100% impossible. It, she's not exaggerating. It, it, I mean, she's 90 years old. It's, she's not going to have a, a child naturally. Impossible. Abraham had 13 years ago just somehow managed to, you know, have a child, to father a child. So he had a little bit of glimmer of hope, but 13 years has gone by and a lot can change in 13 years. But Sarah, she'd been trying her whole life to have a child and it's never, ever happened. And hope had passed. Hope had diminished. It was gone. And so when God says this, she has the same reaction that Abraham had. But at this point, you don't hear Abraham laughing anymore. What changed? Well, if you go back and you read, it says that the very same day that God had talked to Abraham, he had himself circumcised, his son circumcised, and every male in his household circumcised. What does that tell us about Abraham being the father of faith? He was obedient, but it, it tells you that even though he couldn't wrap his head around what God was telling him to do, even though he didn't know the road he was going to take, and even though he was unsure of how he was going to get there, he knew that if he trusted God, he would get there. And he put action to his, his idea, his, his trust in God. And he did what no man would want to do at, at 99 years old. And then not only that, but then tell your 13-year-old son, yeah, do this too. 
and then tell every other male in your house, slaves or free, yeah, we're all going to get circumcised because this is a sign. This is a, a token of the covenant that God has. And he has these promises that he has spoken to me. And they all entail coming from a child that is yet unseen. And yet I know that God is true. And somehow he convinced every male in his whole household to get circumcised. To take action on a promise from God sight unseen. That's amazing. He's totally and completely on board. So when, when God comes back and, and he's talking and, and he says this, it's not Abraham laughing anymore. Now it's Sarah. And Sarah's like, you know, look, it's physically impossible. How, am I going to have this joy? How am I possibly going to have this joy? And God just tells her, it's going to happen. But Abraham, it doesn't, he, he doesn't have any problem with it anymore. Um, way down here. Um, the child that he had, Isaac, the child that was coming in Genesis 22, it talks about that he took that child and he was, he was told to offer him. He was told to, to climb up the mountain and he was going to be the sacrifice. And the thing about Abraham that, that so impresses me when it comes to faith is he didn't question God, even at this point. You know, by this, by this time now, he's seeing that God's moving in his life. He's seeing that God's done something completely brand new, something totally different. He's, he's got this son, and he's on the way to the plans and the purposes of God. And he thinks that he knows the way, and then God all of a sudden, like, throws up a roadblock and says, hey, you're on this path. Now I want you to, to prove your obedience, and I want you to sacrifice your son. And it's, it's known that God doesn't do that. You know, the heathen nations are the ones who sacrifice their children. You know, they were commanded not to. But yet God tells him that. And so what does he do? He takes his son and he takes all the stuff that he needs for the offering. And he goes up there. And I've always thought it'd be really, really hard to sacrifice your son. Isn't that what you think? You know, when you read that. But even further than that, when he's, when he's saying that, what he's doing is he's putting on, on the line everything that God has promised. It's not just giving up his son. It's putting on the line because he was the seed that was promised. You know, Isaac was the, the chosen seed that God mentioned in, in Genesis 17. It was, it was through him that all these things were going to be established. So when he takes Isaac and he puts him on the altar and he's preparing to slay him and he raises up the knife, in faith he's sitting there thinking, even if I have to go through with this, God will make another way. And that's what the whole thing was. It wasn't, you know, could you give up your son for me, which would be a very hard thing, and I, I couldn't do it. But it was, do you trust me enough to bring to pass all the things that I've already told you are going to happen even through this child? It's amazing. It, I, I don't know if you guys had ever thought about that. That was kind of something that blew me away. The question that uh, God asks Sarah is in um, Genesis 18, in verse 14. It says, Is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. And that's the question that we have to ask when God's asking us to do the impossible thing. Is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? You know, I think a lot of times we end up spending time on, is it too hard for me? Is it too hard for me to get there? Is it too hard for me to do this thing? And that's not what God's asking. 
you know, he, like I said, in Hebrews eleven six, he, he wants us to believe, but he also wants us to believe that he's a rewarder. And we get so wrapped up in, can I do this? And we've, we neglect God. And when I was talking earlier about there's so many times in my life where it's like there's a little bit of a spacing that's there between me and God. That's what I mean by that. So, so many times, and this might be completely me, and I might just be talking completely to me, but I don't think I am, or else God wouldn't have me saying this. But we get to a place where we know God, we know that God's good, we know that he's powerful, and we know that he can. But the question is, will he? And even more so, the question is, will he with me? And we start making plan B because we're not sure. We can't answer that with 100% certainty. Will he with me? The thing is, is he called us. He chose us. From all of the people in, in all of creation, he called us. He brought us into this place where, you know, I've told you guys in, uh, you know, we're peculiar people. And the word peculiar doesn't mean weird. It means people of an appointed time. We're set for an appointed time. We have, a, we have a mission. We have a calling that God is trying to get through to us. And he's trying to get us to do something that's completely and totally impossible. He's trying to get us to reach a whole generation. He's trying to get us to go beyond ourselves and talk to people and minister to people that maybe we don't want to, maybe we don't like, and maybe we don't want to like. But he still needs it done. And we have to get beyond ourselves to get that done. Um, Romans chapter 4, and you guys don't have to turn there, but the whole chapter is about Abraham believing God. And where it really deserves attention is around verse 18. Um, and so I have a couple of different um, translations of this just to read to you. Uh, from the King James, it says, Who against hope believed in hope, so that he might become the father of nations, according to that which is spoken, so shall your seed be. Um, from the New Living Translation, it says, When there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Uh, for God said, That's how, how many descendants you shall have. Uh, from the Amplified, it says, For Abraham's human reason for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had promised, so numberless will your descendants be. Um, from the Message Translation, it says, When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyways. So many times we look at things and we think that they're hopeless. And, and the real reason that we think that they're hopeless is because of our own self-image, because of who we are. We know that God can do it, but we, we're not sure if God can do it with us involved. And the, the answer is yes. We have to look beyond human hope, what we can naturally hope for, and look into the hope that God offers. When we, you see, it all, it all comes down to a choice. Everything comes down to a single question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And our answer should come down to one thing. Can we hope and have confidence in God when everything is showing us the exact opposite? When we look around our church, sometimes it seems hopeless. Sometimes it feels like it's not ever going to change. But yet we have promises from God. And sometimes we just have to trust and believe God. And we have to believe that he is going to do things. He is going to make changes in our church. He is going to make changes in our city.
he is going to make changes in our country. And he is going to do it with us involved. And sometimes the way that he's going to do it may be a way that we don't know. It might be down a path that we've never walked before, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to be unfamiliar. But the one thing that will be familiar is God. He will be right there with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And wherever we go, his presence goes with us. So Hebrews 11, 9 through 12, it's the last of the scriptures. It says, talking about Abraham, it says, uh, prompted by faith from the Amplified, uh, he dwelt as a temporary resident in the land in which he was designated um, of promise of God. He was like a stranger in a strange com- country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of, with him of the same promise. For he was waiting expectantly and confidently, looking forward to the city which has fixed and firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Because of faith, Sarah also received physical power to conceive a child when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God, who had given her the promise to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. So from one man, though he was physically as good as dead, there has sprung many descendants whose number is as the stars of heaven, countless and innumerable, innumerable as the sands on the seashore. It takes faith to um, trust God when it looks impossible. It takes strength to conceive the ideas and the plans of God. It takes action, doing what he said to do, even when we don't understand. It takes expectation to look for the promise of God to come to pass, because there's nothing that is too hard for, for the Lord, especially all that, that which he has promised you or promised us. So a lot different and I hope it made sense. But the truth is sometimes I don't think, you know, we're word of faith people and I don't think that we trust God nearly as much as we should. Maybe you do and I don't and you should all pray for me. Because this was really, really hard for me and I actually had a whole different sermon I wanted to do and I was not allowed. So that's it. Amen. Does anybody need prayer after that? John's putting an offering back there, an offering bucket back there and shaking it around. So we'll pray over the offering and then we will dismiss. So Father, we just thank you and praise you, Father God, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your compassion, Father God. I thank you and praise you, Father, that you do lead us. You lead us every day in life, Father God. And I just thank you and praise you that as we hear your voice, Father God, we will be quick to obey. I thank you and praise you, Father God, that you will help us to build up the image of Christ in us, that we will see ourselves as more than conquerors, Father God. Father, that we will see the growth and the changes that have taken place in our lives, Father God. And Father, that we will learn to be fully dependent upon you, that we will learn to trust you more than our own instincts, more than what we see, Father God. Father, eye is not seen nor ear heard, Father God, the things which you have prepared for us. And I just thank you and praise you, Father God, that as those things come into being, Father God, as they come to pass in our lives, Father God, Father, that we'll have the boldness and the courage to take the steps that are necessary to get to those places, Father God, to reach those people that you're looking for, to 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 be the people that you've called us to be in this time and in this hour, people of purpose, people of destiny, and people with a plan. And we just give you praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name.
Father, we also uh, ask that for every person who would give in the tithes and the offerings, Father God, I thank you and praise you that Satan the devourer is rebuked for their sakes, Father. And I thank you that you continue to pour out seeds upon the sowers, and we give you all the praise and glory for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're excused.